the ability to adapt to changing market conditions. Uh, we have a really uncertain world marketplace at, at the moment, and um, the ability to adapt to changing conditions, the ability to adapt to new technologies, to uh, you know lower production costs. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada. Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Ontario, and Demeter Quebec. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Swine Veterinary Partners offers a full range of animal health and production services to Canadian pork producers. We approach health management through personalized solution with concern for profitability while taking into account performance and the well-being of your animals. Welcome to SwineNet Canada. My name is John Patience and I'll be the host of today's podcast. With me today is Cam Dahl, who is the General Manager of the Manitoba Pork Council. And he's going to be talking to us what, with what he refers to as the thickening of the Canada-U.S. border. Uh, Cam, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you. And Cam, I know uh, most people in the pig industry will certainly know you by reputation if they don't know you personally. Um, but we have many uh, guests or, or visitors to the, the podcast that may not be aware of, uh, of who you are or what you do. So could you give us a bit of a background of sort of how you got started and how you ended up doing this podcast with us today uh, on, on international pork trade? That's, that's a long pathway. Well, I, I grew up on a mixed farm uh, in, in rural Manitoba and uh, earned a, a bachelor degree in, in agriculture economics and a, and a graduate degree um, at the University of Manitoba. Spent a little bit of time in, in international development, and then then the path got diverted a little bit, and, and I spent some time uh, working on, on Parliament Hill in, in Ottawa in, in the polit political world, and and then moved to to uh, working with with farm groups and uh, uh, to advance the the interest of, of producers and, and agriculture in general. And I worked for a while for an organization called the Grain Growers of, of Canada. Uh, I've served as a commissioner of the Canadian Grain Commission, which is the Canadian regulatory body that oversees the uh, the Canadian grain industry, and uh, really got to see government from from the inside, which which is a different perspective. Uh, and uh, also worked for a little bit of time in, in the beef industry, and, and from there uh, have have moved on to Manitoba pork, and have been here for just under three years at this point. Right on, very good. Well, Cam, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, this topic. It's a little different than the topics that I've uh, been discussing with guests uh, since I started with Swine at Canada. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. But let's uh, 
lay down a bit of a foundation for our listeners. And could you please talk about the Canadian pig industry and the Manitoba pig industry in terms of its structure and especially with reference to the uh, the importance of, of global trade to the industry? For sure. And trade is important to to hog production and hog producers across the country. Nationally, Canada exports about 70% of, of what we what we produce, uh, but the number is much higher in, in Manitoba. So we produce about uh, just just about 8 million pigs every year, and 90% of those are, are exported. So either, either in packages as pork uh, going around the world uh, or on foot as, as isoweeds in, into the U.S. So of that 8 million, we, we ship about just under 3 million uh, isoweeds into places like Iowa for, for finishing. And then the majority of, of the rest is, is exported uh, into countries around the world. Great. And could you just maybe share with our audience who the most important trade trading partners are for the Canadian pork industry? For sure. The, the, two, uh, the two largest are, are Japan and the United States. And if you just look at pork, it's, uh, it switches back and forth between the, the U.S. And, and Japan on, on where, who holds the, the title of, of largest importer of, of Canadian products. But, but when you add in the, uh, the live exports of isoweens, the U.S. Is, is our largest market. Right. Okay. And um, with respect to the structure of the industry, uh, Manitoba is somewhat unique, not completely completely unique in that you have two pre-modern packing plants uh, within within the boundaries of, of, of Manitoba. We do. We, we are very fortunate to, to have um, High Life and, and, and Maple Leaf here and the majority of of uh, the product that goes through the high life plant is is exported to to Japan as 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 a premium product. But uh, yes, we're we're very fortunate to to have the the large the the large processing plants here. And uh, in addition to that, we're we're different in other ways as well. And um, consolidation ha- has happened here in Manitoba uh, a little faster than it's happened elsewhere, and, and so the operations uh, have a tendency to be larger here in Manitoba. Than they are in other provinces. And um, one question I have: little, uh, it, it's it's on topic, but it's not the center of our topic today. But I would appreciate if you have a perspective on it. And I read not too long ago, but I don't know if it was a good source or not, that Russia was has stated that they are intending to become a major exporter of pork in the future. Could you comment on that? Do you think that's uh, likely to happen is that doable? And um, as I said, I, I I couldn't gauge the the source, so I wasn't sure um, how much stock to put in it. So I'd appreciate your perspective, uh, Cam. I, I guess it, it might depend on on how you define the word future um, and and how far away that is. Uh, it, it's not just as simple as as building a, a barn and and putting pigs in it. Um, hog production is is a lot more complex than that, um, and uh, a lot more technological than that. And, and you need the infrastructure in place to um, to to be able to produce reliably produce healthy pigs for for export. Uh, and and then of course you, you also need the infrastructure for processing and the infrastructure for transportation. Um, and uh, I, I haven't been in Russia recently, um, but. Uh, 
I don't think that that infrastructure is in place right now. So uh, they have a long ways to go before uh, before they will be in a position to be a a significant or or as the the paper I read, and we might have read the same one, uh, that they're aiming to be the world's largest pork exporter. I, I think that's quite a ways down the road, um, given the development, uh, in, both in, in production and, and processing uh, and transportation that is required. Right. And as you mentioned, infrastructure is so very, very important. And infrastructure, especially when it comes to global trade, as you pointed out, is a very lengthy list, right? It, it's 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 more than a than a hog barn and a and a feed mill. Absolutely, right on. Great. Okay. Well, let's turn to more specifically to the topic at hand, and that is uh, what you're referring to as the thickening of the Canada-U.S. border as it relates to agricultural trade. And could you explain to, to our audience a little bit about what you mean by the the thickening of the border? And what are some of the issues that you see come on the horizon? For sure, it, it's not something that's unique to the, the Canada-U.S. relationship. Uh, we went through a, a period, I will say up until at least 2000, but I would even argue up till say about 2010. Uh, and the, the 30 years before then, the world was really moving towards uh, reducing trade barriers and, and liberalizing trade. And for agriculture, that came on the on the heels of of the great food wars, where uh, North America and Europe were competing against each other in subsidies, uh, and uh, there were trade barriers in place. And we've managed to to move beyond that and and really move to uh, to a global market. Uh, and you know that's something that's benefited consumers around the world. Um, but it's it's something that has absolutely benefited North American farmers. And if you if you look at the farm incomes, real farm incomes in the 1980s, even with the high subsidy support, and you compare those today, um, it it really is is night and day in in terms of of financial stability. Um, and that change around is is because of trade. Uh, but recently we've we've seen a shift, and uh, protectionism is is coming back in style. Uh, that was it was happening before the COVID pandemic, uh, but it was really pushed forward as well uh, by the uh, by the pandemic, where countries were looking to uh, to secure their local supply because they were concerned about the international supply chains. So we really have seen that that pendulum shift uh, uh, internationally from movement towards globalization and and now. Protectionism is, is coming back in, in style. And, and that's happening between Canada and the U.S. as well. And uh, in the pork industry, I would cite Proposition 12 and country of origin labeling as the two examples. Are the two that you've mentioned. And, you know, it, I think it's interesting <clears throat> to your point that uh, that period of time when uh, international trade and the creation of international trade agreements was um, highly favored and looked upon positively coincided with the growth of pork production uh, across North America in Canada, the U.S. and um, and Mexico. And if memory serves me correct, I might be out by a few years, but if memory serves me correctly, the U.S. became a net exporter of pork in the early 1990s. I think it was around 1992, 93, 94. I, I think you're correct, like yes. Right. 
and and now we're I think is the, the largest uh, exporter of pork in the world. And Canada's what number two, number three, number four? I, I think number three. I, again, you're putting me on the spot. That's something Sorry, I can off the top of my head, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's uh, as you pointed out. That's uh, you know that has represented a lot of um, opportunities for farmers uh, in all three countries to. Uh, enhance their operations to become more efficient, uh, to be able to afford to invest in infrastructure like feed mills, packing plants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's been it's been a pretty strong positive for all three countries. The the other thing I would I would note, um, and sometimes this is missed, is is how much this investment has done for the development of our communities and our rural communities. Uh, you know, you, you take towns like uh, Nipawa, Manitoba, which is a was a small town. It's where High Life's plant processing plant is, um, and it's a booming little city these days. Uh, and it's because of that investment in agriculture and that investment in, in pork production. So, uh, this investment um, that's again gone on throughout North America is is really helping reinvigorate a lot of rural communities that. Uh, I didn't have that bright path forward um, before we moved to uh, a more liberalized trade market. Yes, yes. And it's interesting, Cam, that I hear that kind of conversation more in Canada than I do in the U.S. And that's not to say it's not doesn't exist in the U.S. Um, uh, I'm not sure why it's not a, a greater topic of conversation, but certainly within Canada, it is um, as a as an opportunity to enhance rural communities that otherwise are really struggling to find a, a reason for being. Absolutely. Uh, you bet. You bet. Cam, I'd like to uh, drill down just a little bit now, uh, a little bit more. And my impression would be that uh, with respect to country of origin labeling and just general attitude towards trade, that the the U.S. pig industry would tend to be pretty trade positive. Uh, it would, would, from your perspective on the other side of the border, would you agree with that statement? I, I would. We we have a really strong relationship with our our colleagues south of the border, and and yes, even when it comes to things like country of origin labeling, um, you know that's that's not something that I, I see the. Uh, the, the pork sector in the U.S. supporting. So we have a good relationship. And, and yes, the, uh, the the U.S. industry recognizes the value of trade and uh, recognizes the value of the integrated market between Canada and the U.S. You bet. You bet. So, yeah, and it would makes you wonder a little bit what would happen to some uh, processing plants if all of a sudden there were 3 million pigs not moving down from Manitoba uh, to be uh, fed out and and processed in the U.S. Yes, and um, you know when when talking to to officials in the U.S. or others, I you know I I tend to hear the word voluntary being stressed, and that this is different. Uh, this country of origin labeling initiative is different uh, than the last time because it's, it's voluntary. And the example I give back is is Costco here in in Manitoba, and I know this will make your your U.S. listeners smile, but uh, all the all the pork products that are sold in Costco here are labeled product of the USA. 
And, uh, you know, today that might include uh, an isoene that was born in Manitoba and shipped to an Iowa farm for finishing and, and processed in the U.S. Uh, that still counts for that Costco package. Uh, but if these rules go forward, they don't. And, uh, you know, my question back is how voluntary is it really? Because Costco isn't going to change its labeling. It's going to look at its supplier and say, comply with the new rules of, of the labeling. And, and so it, it has the potential to be, uh, to deliver a real disruption to the, the integrated Canadian U.S. market. Right. Kim, I'd like to, um, we've drilled down a little bit on the uh, country of origin labeling uh, issue. Let's talk a little bit about Prop 12, um, but let's talk about it from the Canadian context and correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression is there's no kind of Prop 12 legislation uh, uh, situation going on or even talked about within Canada, but you do have um, uh, what I believe to be really an industry-driven move to um, alter some of the the ways in which pigs are raised. Can you Talk a little bit about that in a little more educated way than I can. <laughs> sure, ab- absolutely. Um, Canada is unique when it comes to to how we assure animal welfare for for livestock that are, are used for are grown for for food. We have something called the National Farm Animal Care Council, and it's made up of, of uh, farmers, of course, and uh, but also veterinarians. Uh, researchers, uh, governments that are responsible for in, enforcing uh, animal welfare uh, legislation, as well as non-governmental organizations. And these, uh, the, the National Farm Animal Care Council has, has code development committees for, for each of the, the livestock sector. So there's something called the, the code of practice for the care and handling of pigs uh, that outlines what what farmers need to do and, and what requirements are in place for uh, for proper care for for animals and there's a there's a code of practice for dairy cattle and beef cattle and and horses and and all all livestock and and these codes of practices uh, evolve over time uh, they're they're based on science so uh, every time you know research advances and, and moves forward these these codes of uh, practice are, are also updated. And there's about 107, <coughs> not about 107, there's 107 uh, requirements uh, in, in the pig code of practice that's, that spell out uh, what, um, what farmers need to do uh, in order to, to properly care for, for their animals. And in, in 2029, uh, the code of practice for the care and handling of pigs uh, will be adjusted to have uh, loose housing for for sows. So, so that is is something that's that's that is coming forward. Okay. So, and that would when you refer to loose housing, that would refer to gestating sows. Is that yes. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Um, so, what does the industry in Canada look like? Or maybe for you, it's fair to say in Manitoba, barns still being built with gestation stalls or are new barns being built with loose housing? What's that look? What's that landscape looking like? I, I don't think um, any any new barns will be built now with, with uh, gestation uh, stalls in place. Um, I, I think any, any new facilities will be built without those uh, upcoming guidelines in mind. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Other Trade issues besides those two 
or any other aspect of the trade topic that uh, causes you concern or you'd like to, to share with our listeners? Well, I, I think, again, you know, not necessarily between Canada and the U.S., but we're seeing more and more, uh, again, that pendulum has shifted of, of non-tariff trade barriers being used to, uh, to, to block trade. Um, and Canada has negotiated a, a trade agreement with Europe, for example, um, called the Comprehensive Economic CETA, what does it, and trade agreement or, or something like that, uh, that, uh, you know, agriculture supported and, and the livestock industry supported. Uh, again, we're, we're free traders. And it, it really hasn't uh, had given the opportunities that, that we were expecting. And that's because of non-tariff trade barriers that, uh, that continue to be put into place to, to block Canadian meat exports. And it's not just pork, it's, it's, it's beef as, as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, things like, um, you know, carcass washes that, that uh, might not technically be approved in Europe, but uh, achieve the, the result of, of uh, reducing bacterial loads and, and delivering safe product to, uh, to uh, European markets. Well, those kinds of things aren't, aren't allowed. Uh, and, and so we're finding that, you know, we're not exporting any more pork. We're not exporting any more beef uh, because of these non-tariff trade barriers. And, and it's a problem. Uh, because we're, we're concerned that these kinds of trade loopholes are, are going to be incorporated and, and brought forward in, in other trading markets, like, like the, the, the Pacific, for example, that countries that decide that they don't want to accept your product, um, even though they've negotiated a trade agreement, will find uh, phytosanitary reasons to, to block trade. And, and it's a concerning trend. Right, right. Yeah, it's a... It's uh, it's not a very static situation, is it? There's uh, it, sometimes you wake up. Uh, I remember when uh, when the whole ractopamine story broke and and the huge impact that had on the industry on both sides of the border. And that's a perfect example of a non-tariff trade. Barrier. Absolutely, it is. Cam, this has been uh, really really interesting. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with uh, the audience before we move on to our Final three questions. I, I think, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about uh, the potential for disruption between Canada and the U.S., but I, I think my final thought is is just really to recognize that uh, in, in the pork sector, but it's not just the pork sector, it's agriculture across the board, uh, just how much farmers have, have benefited from the integration of, of uh, uh, North American, but especially Canada and, and the U.S. markets. And, um, you know, it, it's not just... It's, it's not just farmers that have benefited, but consumers have benefited as well. Uh, and that delivery of, of safe, uh, affordable, even, even in this time of, of food inflation, uh, the safe, affordable food. Um, and it's, it's coming because, uh, because our two countries can work together. And, and it, is, it is really a, a positive example. Great. Well, thanks for that. It's time for our famous three. So we'll move on to the three questions we ask of all of our guests. Uh, Cam, and the first question is, is that do you have a favorite swine related uh, book that you would like to share with our listeners? I'm going to 
you know, maybe maybe cheap out a little bit here. But uh, I haven't always been in the pork industry. I started out and I spent a lot of time in, in the grain on the grain side. And, and when I came over to pork, the Canadian Hog Journal was, uh, uh, you know, I, I read every edition that comes out. And it, it's really well done and well put together. And if if your listeners aren't, aren't subscribing, they should. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Uh, then our second question is, is, do you have a favorite book of any on any subject that you would like to share that you've read that was either fun to read because it was entertaining or it was helpful to read because it was educational or? Well, I am a reader, so so we could spend a couple hours on this, to be really <laughs> honest. But I, I will give you one that I, I recently reread, actually, and it is it is a long reread, but or a long read, but it is a a, a biography of Franklin Roosevelt by Conrad Black. And uh, if you know the two gentlemen, they're on the opposite sides of the political spectrum. Um, but it is it is really well done, and and despite the fact that the author never uses two words when he can use ten. Um, it is it is a really it is a it is worthwhile read. So anybody that's that's interested in history or interested in politics or interested in that time of history because it was a time of a significant change. It's very very well done and it's worth a read. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned that book, uh, uh, Cam, because I've uh, uh, we were just talking about that amongst some friends. And uh, and they had a they had a similar comment about the author, um, but also that he's he's a smart guy, and that the book was really uh, informative as well as entertaining. It, it is both. It's worth a read. Right on. And then finally, um, I'm interested in your perspective because general most of our guests are science type folks, you know, nutritionists, whatever. And your your focus is industry. It's a little different viewpoint of our industry. And what would you say, in your opinion? sets apart swine professionals, uh, you know, the, the truly, the really successful swine professionals as compared to the, the overall uh, uh, population out there? What, what sets, sets the really successful people apart? I, I think the, the word adapt to, adaptable comes to mind. Um, uh, the, the, the cycles in, in the hog sector and the pork sector are, are really short. Uh, and uh, the ability to adapt to changing market conditions. Uh, we have a really uncertain world marketplace at, at the moment, and um, the ability to adapt to changing conditions, the ability to adapt to new technologies, to uh, you know lower production costs. I, I think that that ability to to flex when when things are changing and adapt your production and adapt marketing that's what really sets a, apart the the successful operations from the ones that maybe aren't quite as successful yeah amen to that that's a, that's a very good point uh, cam thank you so very much i've really enjoyed this conversation i know our listeners will as well the issue of trade is a very very important one as you very carefully uh, shared with us at the beginning and uh, there's a need to maintain uh, pretty open borders if both industries are to be you know, to achieve their their potential so thank you very much for sharing your time with us today we really appreciate it it was my pleasure thank you 